today we want to continue uh, looking at these uh, relational connections that are so important. And this morning we want to look at this concept of restoring one another. It's so important that uh, we learn how to restore those who have uh, been caught in a trespass or have uh, fallen by the wayside. Uh, and many of us maybe today really need to be uh, restored to God. Uh, there's nothing greater in all the world than to be brought into a living relationship with the living God. And so uh, we're going to dig into this passage. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds to God's truth today. Father in heaven, uh, how good it is to be together this morning. Uh, you are so good to us. You love us so much. And Lord, we, we're all people in process. We all mess up. We all have problems. We all have difficulties with which we struggle. We're not perfect. We are all people in process. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might just open our minds and our hearts to uh, the truth of this passage. You'll help us to grasp a hold of it. Uh, and then, Lord, to be responsive and to allow your Holy Spirit to lead us and to help us to experience the joy of restoration, the joy of fellowship, not only with you, but also with each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today about two words in our Christian vocabulary that are both powerful and loving. They are words that on one in one sense they are words that we're very familiar with. They are words that we use quite often. And then the other word is a word with which we struggle quite a bit. We struggle with uh, how to do it in an appropriate way. And that word that we're the most comfortable with is the word caring. Uh, we love to care for one another. We reach out and care and seek to do everything we can to help others succeed. And that's something that we enjoy doing. Uh, but the other word is a word that's, that causes a lot of consternation. We don't like to, to think a lot about it. Uh, and it's a word that we're really not comfortable with, and that is the word confronting. We're okay with the caring part. The confronting part is the part that we struggle with and we wrestle with uh, as God's people. Most of the time, we think that these words are mutually exclusive. In other words, there's a time to care, and then there's a time to confront. But... This morning, I want to bring both of these concepts together. I want to bring caring and confronting together, and we want to create a new word that has not been uh, original with me, but was original with a gentleman by the name of Myron Augsburger, David Augsburger, uh, in his book, Caring Enough to Confront. And that new word I want us to think about is the word care-fronting. Care-fronting. And this is why we want to bring these two together, especially to care front those who maybe have fallen into some kind of a doctrinal misstep or maybe they're involved in some kind of an issue that has caused them to lose their first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am convinced that uh, the body of Christ is very precious. 
Every single person in this room is a valuable member of the family of God. We all need each other. And there's not any of us here that are lone rangers. And this business of care fronting is something that oftentimes we fail to do, not because we don't want to, but we just don't know how to do it sometimes. And so this morning, with the help of the Spirit of God, we want to uh, help us get a, get a grip on what it means uh, to care front and to enable those who have uh, either fallen by the wayside or slipped by the wayside to, to reach out to them and bring them back into a relationship not only with God, but a relationship with others as well. Now, I want to make some opening observations as we dig into this subject. First of all, all Christ followers are vulnerable. Every single one of us are vulnerable. Uh, we're not perfect. Anybody perfect here this morning? Um, no, no. <laughs> we're not perfect, are we? We're, we are people that are prone to mess up. We make mistakes. We fall by the wayside. We're weak. And it's because of our human vulnerability that we need to be on our guard against overconfidence or spiritual cockiness that sometimes can lead us sprawling headlong into areas that we wish we had never gone. Classic example of that is Peter. Remember when Peter said, he said, everybody else is going to forsake you, but not I. I'm not going to do it. And he ends up doing what he said he would never do. He he basically denies his Lord. And so we have to be very careful about being overconfident in ourselves. We are all vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy and to what, how Satan wants to disrupt our lives. Number two, all Christ followers are connected to each other. We don't live in isolation. What we do or don't do affects every single other person. And so we can't live our lives as if what we do or don't do doesn't affect the people in our circle of influence. It affects every person. And we need to understand that whether it's conscious or unconscious, uh, our lives are open books and we are a part of a family. That's what makes Christianity such a unique experience because uh, it's not a, a, uh, an indoctrination. It is a sense of Family coming together around what Christ has done for us at the cross and experiencing the power of his presence in our lives. So we must never forget that we're all connected. And so when, <clears throat> when some of us go into a certain direction that maybe is not uh, pleasing to God, it affects the rest. Number three, all Christ followers are to minister to each other. God's called us to minister. Sheldon and I are the pastors of this church, but every single one of you are the ministers. You are the people of God. God's equipped you to minister to one another. And unfortunately, there has been this development over the years in the evangelical church that the only ones that minister are the pastors, and we minister to the congregation. And they just kind of are uninvolved and they don't do anything other than just listen to what we have to say. But that's not the biblical way. God has equipped every one of you to be a minister to each other. 
we're connected to each other. And one of the most beautiful things that can happen in the body of Christ is when the body ministers to the body. And we are not dependent upon the pastor. We're dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ to, to direct us in our relationships one with another. Uh, this idea that the clergy are the ones who minister and the laity are the ones to whom the clergy ministers is not a correct view. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the Bible makes it also very clear that all of us as members of the body of Christ are priests or ministers to one another. Now, theologically, this concept is known as the priesthood of the believer. All of us, because of the transforming work of God on our lives, we have been equipped to minister one to another. Uh, Philip Schaff, the church historian, puts it this way. He says, quote, This principle implies the right and duty of every believer to read the word of God in his vernacular tongue, to go directly to the throne of grace, and take an active part in all the affairs of the church according to his spiritual gifts and calling. So when the body is healthy, the body is ministering one to another. And we don't wait for it all to come from the pastors, we ourselves, because we're in, engaged in the daily uh, 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 activities in the marketplace, uh, and we are aware of what's going on in, in each other's lives. Uh, we are there to minister, not to point out uh, problems necessarily, but just to be there uh, to care for a person, and when need, needed, uh, to also encourage them to get back in line with what the scripture has to say. Now, the biblical foundation for the priesthood of the believer is 1 Peter chapter 2. You may want to keep your finger there in Galatians, but flip over to 2 Peter, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Uh, this is where Peter says, he's speaking now to the body of Christ. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, okay? We belong to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is on the basis of all that we have received as Christ followers that now we are equipped to minister one to another and to encourage and to build up and to lift up those uh, that may be struggling in certain areas in their life and they just need another Christ follower who cares enough about them to maybe call them out a little bit but also to come alongside them and help them to redirect their lives in a positive way. Now it's interesting as I study the scripture I discover that God has uh, really given two unique ministries to the ministers. Okay, he's given unique ministries to pastors, but he's also given unique ministry uh, guidelines to the ministers. That's the body of Christ. Uh, the first ministry he gives us is the ministry of reconciliation. And you see this in the Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Notice... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, that is, the body of Christ. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Remember, he died on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So as we have experienced this wonderful uh, union of being united in Christ, we belong to God, along with that relationship is a responsibility, and one of the most important responsibilities is we are to, to be reconcilers. He's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, that's something that we're to be proactive about. We're not to, to let relationships deteriorate. We're to do everything we possibly can to bring relationships together, especially if they've been misunderstood or fractured. And then the second ministry is the one we want to talk about today. He not only commits to us as the body of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation, he commits to us the ministry of restoration. Two unique ministries. And that's why you have Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, he's talking to the whole congregation. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual. He's not talking there about the pastor. He's talking to the body of Christ that are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. So the only way in which we can have a, uh, a meaningful ministry of restoration is when we ourselves are in a right relationship with the living God. He is alive and well within us, and as he grows his character within us, he is equipping us not only to be ministers of reconciliation, but also ministers of restoration. And Paul describes the fact that uh, the, char the, the, the characteristics of restoration are really the evidence of spiritual fruitfulness in our lives. And he talks about that over in Galatians 5, uh, verse 22. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, if we are to engage in this ministry of restoration, we will not be big-headed. We will rather be big-hearted because the Spirit of God is moving in us and He is molding us and He's equipping us through our daily lives to be more and more like Jesus. And as His character is formed in us, He's equipping us, He's preparing us uh, to be restorers of those who have made spiritual missteps. Now, before we look at this command in greater detail, I want us to understand some key words in this passage. Because you can read this passage and you're real fast. You go over to verse 1 and you're immediately in the second verse and you, you really haven't grasped what he's talking about. So I, I want to make some, some very clear definitions for us this morning. 
First of all, Galatians 6.1, that verb caught, put a circle around the word caught, literally means to anticipate, to come upon, or to be taken unaware. Okay? Now, it's a word that refers to the detection of another believer's sinful attitude or action. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I do not believe God calls us to be some kind of spiritual detective or a Sherlock Holmes in another person's life. We're not to be looking for problems in somebody else. That's not what he's talking about here. He's just simply saying that there are times when an individual is caught by something that catches him off guard. Remember, all of us are sinners saved by grace. <laughs> None of, none of, none of us can, can say we have it all together, okay? We're all people in process. What I believe he is saying here is that when sin is observed in the life of another Christ follower, and it is obvious, okay, there is no longer room for some speculation. At that moment, we need to become proactive and reach out to that individual, helping them face up to whatever it is that's keeping them from experiencing the full blessing of God and pointing them to Christ, helping them repent and reestablish a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking here about something that catches somebody off guard, catches them unaware. It's not uh, something that uh, they've thought a whole lot about. It just it's happened and... It's sown a seed, a seed of, of doubt or whatever in their lives. Now, the noun sin. Notice, if anyone is caught in a sin. Now, there are a number of different Greek words for sin. This one is rather unique. And this word sin can be translated to stumble, uh, to blunder, or to fall. It can also be translated to take a false step. So he's not referring here in this passage to willful, outright sin, but rather to some spiritual blunder or some lapse or slip, some mistake that another Christ follower may consciously or unconsciously make. It's descriptive of catching someone off guard it's not something intentional. Rather, it's like walking on ice. Now, if you've ever been walking on ice, you have to watch your step. Because just one step in the wrong direction, you'll fall through the ice. So it's very important here that we uh, are very careful as we seek to be responsive as ministers of restoration. But let's be honest. All of us have blind spots in our spiritual lives. There are areas of growth we all need to pursue areas of weakness where we're susceptible to temptation and sin. You see, Christianity is not a, spectac uh, it's not a spectator sport. We need to be so connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ that when we see them maybe caught in something, maybe, maybe there's a blind spot they're not even aware of in their life, but, but that blind spot has caused them maybe to, to get off track in their walk with Jesus. That's where we as those that are walking with God and have intimacy and relationship and are healthy where we need to reach out to them in the bonds of Christ's love. So we need to be patient with each other. <laughs> we need to be forbearing. 
Uh, we needed to learn how to bear with each other, but we also need to learn how to restore uh, each other, especially when something has happened that was not willful, but has just caused the person to maybe veer off the path that God has for them. Now, what is involved in this ministry of uh, restoration? First of all, what are we not to do? Well, as I've already mentioned, we're not to dismiss their sin and sweep it under the rug or believe it's something of no consequence. If you see somebody that's been caught in a sin and, and it's beginning to affect their walk with Jesus, maybe they no, no longer have Bible study, they're no longer in church, uh, they're no longer uh, in a small group, uh, they've just kind of fallen by the way. So there's something going on there. And we must not dismiss it or ignore it and think it will self-heal. Uh, we each have responsibilities for the spiritual well-being of others. It's not just the pastors. It's the ministers, all of us, together. Number two, uh, we should not despise or condemn them in our hearts or secretly say, well, I knew all along they were phony. I knew all along they weren't going to make it. We have to be real careful about that. Here's the clincher. Don't report him to the pastor or her to the pastor. That's what happens. You, know, some, you, see, you see another believer that maybe is beginning to wander. Uh, what, our first impulse, well, let's call the pastor. He needs to deal with it. No, no. That's something that the body needs to be dealing with. And we shouldn't share our suspicions about our sinning brother around the gossip circle. Uh, it's so important that we guard each other's faults at the foot of the cross. <laughs> that we, we don't broadcast one another's hurts. If we sense something in another person, we need to love on them and we need to pray for them. And then as the Holy Spirit leads, uh, to reach out to them and seek to bring them back into a vital relationship to God. Above all, we should not grow cold against them or ignore them or no longer associate with them person that slips up maybe they hear something on TV that confuses them or causes them to to turn away from what they know is truth we need to be sensitive to that we need to reach out to them in the bonds of Christ's love and care front them not condemn them but take care front them so that they can experience joy and life with Jesus now what are we called to do what are the positive things we are to do? Look at verse 1. We are to restore him. Put a circle around the word restore. It means to repair to a former good condition. One commentator says that it is used of setting bones, of putting dislocated limbs back into place, of mending nets, of mending a fleet, supplying an army with provisions. I just want you to think for a moment about this picture of restoration in terms of mending a net or resetting a dislocated bone. If you've ever broken your arm or your leg or, or you've had to have a bone reset, it's a pretty painful process. I remember several years ago we were getting ready to go on a trip uh, to the National Conference of the Free Church and we were working late at night and about 1.30 Sandy fell and broke her shoulder dislocated her shoulder it was it was just yeah it was not good and they tried to reset that I mean the pain of resetting that show I mean Sandy almost passed out 
the, the, the pain was so excruciating. So all I'm saying is when we are restoring or, or we're trying to mend or repair something that has been broken, uh, we need to be very careful. And notice he says here, restore him or her gently, gently. Uh, you don't want to yank on that, that bone that was broken or twist the bone. You need to be very, very careful. And we're to restore him, notice, in a spirit of love. This is where Ephesians 4.15 comes in. We are to speak the truth in love. And when you care front another person, you need to be real honest with them. But you, you also want to be very careful with what you say and how you say it. And you need to make sure that you're very much prayed up before you offer any kind of counsel uh, to this person who has slipped and, and been caught in some kind of a, of a web that, that has deterred their affection for Jesus. See, love knows no limits. It's always unconditional. That's the way God loved us. And so those that kind of slip up, don't condemn them. Don't, don't, don't talk about them. That's the worst thing we can do. Uh, the most important thing we can do is to love them and to reach out to them. Secondly, we're to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And remember, gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. You see this here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentle. Uh, let, let me tell you, uh, people in the world today are beat up. Uh, they, they've not had many gentle conversations. But we, as the body of Christ, we are to be very gentle as we seek to bring restoration and healing. You see, the Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. And he's called us to be gentle when we're reaching out and carefronting those that have slipped up. Uh, people today tend to be very brittle. Oh, my. And they're easily broken. They're very easily offended and so our responsibility is not to condemn in any way, but to let them know how much we care for them and how concerned we are that they get back into an appropriate relationship with the Lord Jesus. Number three, we're to restore our brother with an awareness of our own human weakness. Notice the last part of verse one. But watch yourself. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. In other words, we don't respond to a brother who's taken a misstep or has gotten off track in a spirit of superiority. But we approach them aware of our own human weakness that we ourselves are vulnerable to the very thing that has tripped them up. You see, this, this, this is one of the things that we have to understand is that we can never think about another person that has taken a misstep or gone their own way and say that would never happen to us because the enemy knows our weakness and he will always attack us at our weakness he will never attack us at our area of strength and so when we are reaching out to someone that has taken a misstep been caught in a, a sin that, that, that just occurred it wasn't something that they were intentional about we, we have to be very very careful 
about the way in which we do that, but fully aware of our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings, and that were it not for the grace of God, we'd be in the very same situation that that person is that we're seeking to restore. Paul exhorts the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So when we think that, that we would never commit any kind of a sin that this other person is, has committed, we're stepping on a banana peel. And before you know it, man, you're going you're to be in big trouble. So this business of, of restoration is something that uh, is so meaningful, but we have to understand how important it is uh, that we do it in the right spirit and in the right way. And then lastly, notice, we are to restore him in the Jesus way. And we've already talked a lot about this. I'm just going to hit this very briefly here this morning. The Jesus way is found in Matthew 18, verses 15 and following. He says, if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. When we first see something going on in the life of, a, of another believer that we know is tripping them up spiritually, the first thing we do is we go to our brother. We care enough that we will sit down, maybe have some coffee with him or her, and just say, hey, what's, what's going on in your life? Are you struggling a little bit? There's some things that I can pray with you about. We're to go to our brother, share our heart with him, uh, and, and being face-to-face -face personally. Don't talk over the phone. Don't talk over the Internet. Don't text. Texting and emailing are the worst ways to restore another person because it completely negates any kind of two-way conversation. We talk with him privately, not for the purpose. You don't talk, reach out to him to condemn him or to, or to make him embarrass him or put him down, but you do it because you love that person and you want God's very best for his life. And this is where most of us miss the mark. Uh, we become aware of a spiritual misstep in another believer's life, and the easy thing for us to do is to talk to someone else about it. Oh, do you know about so-and-so? What's, what's going on? Well, we have to be very careful about that. And when we start talking about our brothers that we see that have, or sisters that have kind of fallen by the wayside, uh, that's where we begin to judge our brothers and our sisters. And God calls us not to judge. And when that occurs, it's not long before our brothers or sisters' sins makes its way into the gossip circles, and soon people begin to take up sides, and they start lobbying, and they say, well, hey, what, shouldn't... It's amazing what happens. They just take up sides, and by the time the leaders are informed, the battle lines have been drawn, and division and dissension set in. You're either for the person or against the person. Feelings of hurt and distrust emerge. Entrenchment works its way in. And any attempt at reconciliation is thwarted. Let me be very honest with you. <clears throat> Over the years, 
with the help of the Spirit of God, I have endeavored not to be a bearer of secondhand information. Somebody comes and they say, you know, Pastor, you need this, this, this person, you know, it's in your church. You need to deal with this. And you need to take care of this. This is not my problem, it's your problem. I, 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 I've never observed in that person's life at all. But that other person has. They're part, they're part of the body. I, I do not go to a person and say, well, you know, so-and-so told me this about you. I will not do that. I will, with the help of the Spirit of God, do the Jesus way and say, why don't you go and talk to that person? Get it, get it resolved. If the two of you can't get it resolved, then I'll be glad to sit down with you or I'll bring a, another spiritual leader together and we can get this thing worked out. When this doesn't happen and you start speaking and, and picking up secondhand messages, it does not heal the situation. It only exacerbates it. Now, who is to take the lead in all of this? Notice verse 1. Notice, put a circle around it. You who are spiritual. Now, What's he talking about here? He's talking about the body of Christ. You who are, he's not referring to some, you know, ecclesiastical giant, some theologian. He's just saying, you that are part of the body, you that are growing spiritually, you've understood the grace of God and God's at work in your life and you're tender and you're humble and you've yielded yourself to God. You that are spiritual... I want you to, to take the initiative. He's referring here to matured Christ followers who are growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and are walking in the Spirit. If we are not walking in the Spirit, if we are not surrendered completely to God, we must not engage in the restoration process. Otherwise, we will complicate it. We need to make sure that our lives line up with what the scriptures speak to us about in terms of how we're to live our lives pleasing before the Lord. And so we need to make sure that we are prayed up, that there's nothing in our hearts that has not been uh, repented of and forgiven uh, because we don't want to do anything that's going to cause more damage to come to that person that we're carefronting. So restoration is the response of a mature Christ follower to a sinning brother. And such actions are pleasing to God. Notice again verse 25 of Galatians 5. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So he's calling us to a whole different way of leading. But we who are spiritual are to take that lead. Now, what are the outcomes? There are three of them. Number one, restoration covers a multitude of sin. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 5. And I want you to notice beginning at verse 19. 
My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let me tell you, restoration covers a multitude of sins. The very same thought is repeated in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we can't forgive sins. That's something that only Jesus can do. But what this, these verses do teach as we deal with a brother who has fallen, we keep on loving them again and again, and we keep on forgiving them again and again, even though they may not respond to our efforts to care front them and encourage them to turn away from that which is keeping them from experiencing the fullness of God. When love covers the sin of another, it simply means that we refrain from forming negative value judgments about the other person we don't condemn we only love and we do not do anything that would hurt another believer for whom Christ died number two restoration rescues a sinning brother from premature death it's very interesting as you see this passage here in James and then also look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 29 to 30, the children talked to us about, about not partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It seems to be, as you study the life of the early church, that they really believed that if you did something that was out of kilter with the plan of God or you were walking in sin and you partook of the Lord's Supper, that that would hasten spiritual sickness, weakness, and even cause premature death. In fact, it's very interesting that they believe that some in the body actually had passed away prematurely simply because they were not walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus and they had not understood the significance of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. So, restoration rescues sinning brothers from premature death. And then number three... Restoration is a discipline for our own good. Turn over to Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, and I'm going to pick it up here at verse 11. He says, Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone goes through discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought it best. But notice this last statement, underline it in chartreuse, God disciplines us for our good. Restoration is for our good. Restoration is what helps all of us to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus. Now, just one final thought, and we're going to wrap this up. We can't assume from all these passages that sickness, weakness, and premature death 
is the result every time of God's discipline toward those who have fallen or have been caught in a sin. What these passages do teach us is that we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we are not living in any known or willful sin. And if the Holy Spirit points out areas in our life that we need to surrender Jesus, we need to surrender them immediately. We must not persist in sinning because when we persist in sinning, it impacts everyone around us. Restoration is one of the most wonderful experiences that you can ever have with another believer or with a loved one. I'm going to share a personal experience. When we lived out in California, my sister, who also lived out in California, began to wander from the Lord. She had been raised in a Christian home. She had had all the godly teaching that my brother and I had had. And yet, for whatever reason, she started to rebel against everything that she had been taught. I would make trips to her home maybe every other week to seek to do everything I could to bring some healing and restoration uh, to my sister. And she refused. She actually got mad. She resented the fact that I would keep trying to encourage her to, come on, let's, let's get your life back in line with what you know and have been taught. And after repeated efforts, notice the text here. It says, you who are spiritual should restore. That word restore is a present imperative, which means we need to do it again and again and again. Not just one attempt, but repeated attempts. And so after I've made all these repeated attempts, I finally, there wasn't anything more I can do, and so I had to just commit my sister to the Lord. And I didn't keep reaching out to her any longer. Just prayed for her, prayed for her, that somehow God would get a hold of her. Several years passed, and one day I got an unexpected letter from my sister where she said, John, I don't know why I've been so rebellious. I don't know why I have lived this way, but I've come back to Jesus. And I've gotten involved in the church. I've renewed my commitment to Christ. I've been baptized. Her husband, her family was reunited. God restored my sister in a very unique way. And then she said, John, she said, something else I want you to know. He said, she said, your repeated attempts that you thought really didn't accomplish a whole lot, those were the reasons why the Holy Spirit began his work in my life. So my friends, never, ever, sometimes you don't see restoration right away. Sometimes it happens a bit later. But let me tell you, there is nothing sweeter than not only being restored relationally, but also being restored with Jesus. And so this morning, I don't know where you're all at, but I just, I'm going to open up the altar here this morning. Maybe some of you just need to get restored to Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what you've, where, where you're at, what's going on in your life, but there may be some of you that just need to come and say, Jesus, I need you. 
I've kind of wandered, I've gotten off track, but Lord, I'm coming home. I'm going to come and experience your presence once again. So we're going to open up the altar. Praise team's going to come back. They're going to sing just one little verse. We're all going to stand together. Let's stand together. And let's ask God to, to work in our hearts. And so if you need to, to be restored this morning, if you just need to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I, I give it all back to I'm coming to the altar and I, I want to get it all cleared up. Or, or maybe you need to come and ask God to give you strength to restore a, a brother or a sister that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. Whatever your need is, okay? We're not going to prolong this. I just want to give you an opportunity. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to... to guide us and if you feel a nudge to come and just ask God to just do his work in your life and bring restoration and healing uh, the altar's open. Father in heaven uh, we come before you this morning. We need you so much. Uh, please work in all of our hearts in each of our lives and if we need to just come and lay ourselves at the foot of the cross this morning help us to do that. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.